your horse training questions answered. Answered. Welcome to the Carson James Podcast, your weekly boost of horsemanship. No jargon, no fluff, and no BS. Just natural, proven solutions that work. And now, here's Carson James. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. This is a question from uh, Shana. She says, I have a mare that pins her ears when feeding. She bites when mounting, or at least she tries to. She hates going to the right, now rolling her back to threaten bucking when she's being pissy. She's my barrel horse. Please help. She is also hard to catch when she's not in a stall. All righty. So... There is probably hours of things going on here that we could talk about. Obviously, we can't do that. But as we talk about this, I want you guys to, you know, the one thing to keep in mind is all of this stuff is interrelated. Like, usually when you have a horse that's barn sour, you also have one that is hard to catch or doesn't stand still for the farrier or is always spooky and vice versa. You could put any of those together. So with the being hard to catch, the aggressive feeding time and the bucking, that all goes hand in hand. So without actually being there to see the horse, this is probably, if it were me, this is the first thing I would do. Uh, I would... I would set up a situation to where I could feed the horse in kind of an open area with a feed pan maybe on the ground. And the reason I say this instead of in a stall is so the first time that mare shows any aggression towards me, I can just go at her really hard with that flag and drive her away as hard as I possibly can. And uh, I would continue doing that until she stayed consistently stayed at least 10 or 15 feet back with her ears forward and not back now generally after you do what i'm talking about you know two or three times you've got a whole different horse or at least the starting of a whole different horse and then i'd pour the feed and then i would just kind of linger over it for i don't know two or three minutes and make sure that she wasn't going to try to come in and every time she did I would just run at her and drive her away as hard as I could with the flag once again and then when she was patiently standing back with her ears forward I would turn around walk off leave the area completely and then allow her to have the feed so after about four or five sessions of doing that And once you become the kind of person that's always looking and ready to do that kind of thing, that's the main point here. You will not run into any kind. There will be no question at all of whose feed it really is, which the the answer is it's technically your feed. Uh, So you go total boss merit feeding time. You do to them what they are threatening to do to you. Uh, and 
a lot of times, you know, when we talk to people about this thing, they they kind of do it, but they have a really hard time getting really big with that flag. So we actually have a video of me doing this with a horse that was known to uh, lunge at the people pouring the feed. And uh, it's on buckaroocrew.com, which, uh, if you don't know, that's where we've got all these training videos, virtual clinic, and uh, all these other kind of videos that pertain to these things that we're talking about. So from this point on, if I refer to videos, it's just on the videos on buckaroocrew.com. So let's see, the next thing was, um, oh, attempting to bite when mounting. So... You know, it makes perfect sense that if a horse is trying to, you know, being aggressive to you at feeding time, they're not going to have, I don't want to use the word respect, but let's just go ahead and use it. They're not going to, it makes sense that they're equally not going to have any respect for you when you go to get on or when you try to do anything with them at all. That's why I say the first thing I would do is fix the feeding thing because that's, uh, that's a good time to make it real clear about, uh, you know, who is the one yielding the feet in the, in this game of horsing. (laughs) So the, uh, the biting deal, the first time that the nose even started to come towards me or the muzzle, I would immediately drop whatever I was doing. It sounds like from her posts that normally happens during mounting. Well, let's just say, for example, it happens, dear, when you go to mount. So the instant I saw that nose bend around there towards me, I would completely abort the mounting mission. And then I would just go right up there to that muzzle area and start waving my hands and, or, you know, letting the cheek run into my forearm or whatever I needed to do to get the whole front end of that horse to start stepping away from me. So the yielding the shoulder exercise, the yielding the shoulders from the ground exercise we do in the virtual clinic videos, uh, that would be what I would instantly start doing anytime uh, a horse that was known for biting even started to bring his nose towards me. Uh, one more thing to mention about biting is remember biting is a secondary thing that happens because of a horse invading your space so like when we do these clinics you know we spend a lot of time getting the people to where they can get those horses to kind of get off of them to move away from them okay well in order for a horse to bite his muzzle basically has to invade your space okay well if you teach that muzzle that it is not to come within two feet of your body at any point unless you physically ask it to do so, well, then the horse will never really get the idea of biting because he feels that he can't because he can't get his nose that close to you. Now, the other side of that coin is, is there's probably if, you know, there's, there's probably quite a few things that a person would need to change in their approach of how they're just dealing with this horse in general. Uh, so in other words, it works a lot better to think, okay, this horse isn't just trying to bite me to be a brat or just to be snobby because horses don't do that. There is a reason 
that that horse has got some ill feelings about being lunged, ridden, mounted, fed, all that stuff. So, you know, we're kind of talking about how you would go about fixing these things, but the real way you would go about fixing these things is to realize that the reason a horse is doing all these bad things is for a reason. And 99% of the time, it's not that the person is having a horse problem, it's that the horse is having a people problem. So as much as we would like to think we can just go in there and make these horses change and do what we want, we have to be the ones to change. Therefore, the horse can be normal, right? Uh, and you'll see hundreds of examples of this all throughout um, the Buckaroo Crew and, you know, all those videos and stuff. So, um, the, let's see, the other thing, I can't remember what the other thing was. Hold on, I'm going to pause this and go back and look. Okay, I just went back and looked at the post, and I can't confirm the horse, uh, when it does bite, it is when you're mounting. So, there we go. Uh, one other little tip is you can tighten your right rein where it only has about an inch of slack in it and then take a good hold of that rein and grab a chunk of mane right there in front of your saddle horn. And then that way when you go to mount, you can kind of pull yourself up by the chunk of mane and the, and the saddle or whatever. But if the horse goes to bend to the left to bite, it will just run into that right rein. So that's kind of a, a way to help. But remember, none of this will do any good if the human doesn't find out what they need to change within themselves to allow the horse to stop thinking that they have to do all of these bad things. That's a really good way to look at it. Uh, and I know it's kind of, I know it might be, you know, kind of, well, no, it can't possibly be me. That horse is a brat. It's the horse's fault. And I know that that's a really common way of thinking, but I can promise you if, if you get to where, you know, in the back of your mind, you're always thinking everything this horse does, whether it's good or bad, is my fault, you will have a really, really nice horse because you start focusing on yourself and stop just blaming the horse, the, the, at the horse's attitude and all that for, for all this stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's all about us, not really the horse. Uh, so let's see. The other one was, uh, does not go to the right. Okay. So if, if somebody brought me a horse that said, Hey, this horse doesn't turn to the right. Uh, the first thing I would do is I would ask it to lunge like a 10 foot circle around me at a walk. And I would ask it to go, you know, around me to the right. And we would probably find a lot of little things that weren't absolutely perfect right there. For example, like the horse could keep trying to stiffen its neck and take its nose away from me, things like that. Okay, so we'd work on that for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. And then probably the horse could lunge around at a, at a walk, keeping just, you know, a little bit of bend. Or at least not making the lead rope weigh 10 pounds because he's so 
bad to take his nose out and stick his nose to the wrong side. And every time that horse did kind of pull on my hand, I would just give it a bump on that lead rope and I kind of just bump his nose off of the halter. And as he went around, you know, after about the 30th lap around me there, he'd start to figure out where the end of that rope was. And as long as it kind of bumped him right when he kind of hit the end of it, uh, if I, I would try to time that so the horse would think that the pressure they're feeling is self-inflicted. Uh, now that leads us into, you know, these previous things we've been talking about. Uh, that, you know, a horse thinking pressure is self-inflicted, that's talking about the, the timing of the human needing to be present and, you know, fairly good, at least within the ballpark. So your timing, as far as when you add pressure, release pressure, all that stuff, that, you know, the timing of the, of the human. So if that timing is not at least within the ballpark, the horse will not think that all of these pressures that they feel that we put on them to get them to do these things, they will not think that it is self-inflicted. They will think that, man, every time I interact with a human, life just sucks because I'm always getting all this pressure put on me. And I tried this, this, that, 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 this, and that, and none of it really seems to make it go away. So we have to improve our timing so the horse has a clear understanding of oh okay when i do this it feels really good when i do this it feels not as good see so you set these things up with timing so they can learn it you're not just making them do it you're allow you're letting them learn it uh so then after that i would get on the horse's back and i would probably just put, I would put an o-ring snaffle bit on it with kind of some longer reins and I would do the same thing. I would just ask the horse to walk a, about a 10-foot circle to the right. And every time he started to brace in his face or anything, I would just really stiffen up my right arm and just let him fight himself and run into the end of the rain. And every time he, even if it was just a little bit and only for an eighth of a second, every time I felt the rain get a little bit lighter, I would just drop it for three or four steps and then I'd pick it up again. I'd lock down. And then when he gave his tipped his nose a little to the right, I'd release. And then pretty quick after that, I would start picking up very lightly. And if he didn't tip his nose a little bit, I'd kind of bump his nose off of it as to kind of say, all right, buddy, get, when you feel me barely touching this rain, get your dang nose off, you know, bent to the right a little bit. So at first I would just kind of fix it up and wait, let him fight himself. And then when he kind of started or stopped fighting himself, I would get more particular as to say, Hey, you feel that three ounces of right rain pressure. And then I kind of bump, bump, bump. And when his nose tipped the slightest bit, full release, reach down, pet him on the neck, let him walk a few strides straight. And we would do this until, you know, it was feeling better. And it would take about 15, 20 minutes and you would have a very noticeable difference and then we would carry that same way of thinking and timing and technique and everything we've talked about onto, you know, trotting, uh, trotting to the right, loping to the right. And the way we ride in general would become that and the horse would just get better and better. Every time the horse turned to the right, we would just open up a little bit and make it feel really good. When I say open up, meaning you would make sure to slacken the rein, not have any pressure on his mouth, even if he only turned you know, two degrees, 
you would open up right there for a second or two and just let him feel, oh, hey, gee whiz, when I turn to the right, it feels better than when I'm not turning to the right. So the human being able to read the horse and time when they're putting pressure and not putting pressure. Uh, anytime a horse doesn't turn good to the left or the right or anytime they don't go or stop or back up or side pass or trailer load or let you put a bridle on them, it's always because of the timing. Uh, it's That's the most important thing. So, uh, let's see, covered going to the right. Uh, oh, and then, and then hard to, uh, hard to catch. So probably the first thing I'd do is I'd put it in a round pen or a corral of some kind. And you guys have kind of all, all will know what I'm talking about here. You basically just get the horse going around a little bit and then pretty quick, you know, he starts to turn and face in a little bit you walk up and pet him and love on him and then you step away and put him back to work. So in a smaller pen, you kind of get it established to where the horse says, man, every time I'm letting that human walk up to me and every time I'm with this human, life is good. But every time that human gets further away from me, uh, I have to work. You know, you drive him around the, the pen or corral or stall even, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then we would move this out into like a big pasture. And if you had like a golf cart, a four wheeler, or even a couple friends that could come over with flags, then they could each kind of take one section of the pasture. Basically you go try to catch the horse. And if it went to turn away from you or act like it didn't want to be caught, it would, you know, go out away from you. And then one of your buddies would be out there and they would kind of flag him and get him loping around. And then, so you would basically just work the horse and turn the pasture into a giant round pin. Uh, and pretty quick, you know, the, the friends that are helping flag in this, this scenario, they could even, every time that horse turned away, they could even kind of move in and flag him and kind of turn him back towards you a little bit. And pretty quick, that horse would, you know, before, with all the things we've been discussing pretty quick, that horse would not resent humans because he didn't have a reason to resent humans. He understood everything that he was, that was being done to him. So the, the, the catching deal would probably go kind of something like that. And normally what you'll find, remember at the beginning, we said all this is interrelated. Normally what you'll find is, when you fix aggression at feeding, that kind of helps being caught to some degree. When you fix biting, trying to bite while mounting, that kind of helps uh, turning to the right to some degree. So each one of these you get better, it will complement the next thing. And it will also make other things better in other areas that you didn't even think or realize were really not as good as you thought they were. So remember, it's all interconnected. Uh, and then the last thing, the... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> the last thing was uh, that this was a barrel horse. So depending on how this horse is worked and ridden and, you know, just handled in general, this this owner would have a little bit working against them based on now I'm just I'm kind of just making a 
uh, judgmental, stereotypical assessment here to say that about 90% of barrel horses are worked in a kind of fast, hard kind of way. For the most part, when they're running the barrel pattern, it's very... It's it's very uncontrolled. They're kind of just bolting with you, but they're going around barrels as they're doing it. Uh, when you when you after you like round the third barrel and you're running back towards the alleyway, nine out of ten times I would I would almost go to say ten out of ten times, when you see the rider try to slow down a barrel horse. The head goes up, the nose goes out, the back hollows, and the horse just braces really bad and stiffens up the front end. And just there, the connection is not really there between the horse and the rider. So I said all that to say this. For, well, let me, let me say it like this. I used to work for this really well-known performance horse trainer. And he worded it really well. He said, well, yeah, we tear them up a little bit on the weekends, but we have every day in the middle of the week to put them back together and even build them a little bit better, build their minds, build their maneuvers, build their strength. And then, yeah, the next weekend comes and we take, you know, one step back, but during the week we're taking two steps forward. Now, a lot of the times in the barrel horse world, there's not a whole lot of cross training And we'll get to what that means in just a second. But generally, it's you get on them, you walk them around, you bend them a whole lot, trying to get them to lift their shoulders. Then you trot them around doing the same thing. Then you lope some circles doing the same thing. Then you run the pattern a few times, and then you walk them around to cool them off, and then you put them up. There's very little time spent doing lateral movements, asking them to uh, soften vertically at the pole, there's, uh, they do counter arcs a little bit. Uh, there's not a whole lot of time working on transitions, you know, speeding up, slowing down. A lot of the times, the only time that horse is ran really fast is at a show. So he can kind of get blown up because he was never really taught to maintain speed at a lope and stay connected with the rider and then do that while loping a little faster and then a little faster and then be able to maintain connection with a rider at a run and then a dead run as fast as he can go. So what that means is, is like, if you watch like, uh, let's, well, let's use a reining horse, but let's say not an extreme sliding stop. But like if you watch a reining horse, they get those horses stretched out running pretty darn fast, right? And then... With the body of the horse staying soft and everything just staying right, that horse will just gear right down to a solid standstill. And then he'll just stand there perfectly still with a leg cocked and his head down. Uh, when the rider asks that horse to rate down, the, the, the head doesn't go up, the signal goes right down to the feet, and the horse knows exactly what to do. It's generally the exact opposite of that in barrel horses. So said all that to say this, you got a little bit working against you depending on how you work this horse because for every time you run him really hard through a pattern, unless you really 
do like the stuff in the virtual clinic, you know, transition, softening vertically at the pole, uh, uh, move, you know, yielding the shoulders, side passing, doing all of these things, keeping that horse's mind right. Well, then for every time you run him hard, you're going to get him a little hotter and lose a little more of his mind. And that's going to help uh, add fuel to the fire of the problems that this horse has that we've been talking about. So I'm not saying you can't have a really nice broke barrel horse. What I'm saying is, is you have to be careful that when you tear them up a little bit on the weekends, that you're not tearing them up a little bit more during the week and then even more on the weekends. And then you got to make sure that you're building their mind back up and then some during the week. And, oh, excuse me. And you got to make sure that you are also building their, you know, their understanding that, well, I said their mind, but building their understanding of pressure, their accuracy in the maneuvers, their softness, their mellowness, their, where they feel really good right down into their innards, where they just are confident and with you and soft and the feet feel like they're right at the tip of your fingers. If you're not building all that stuff back up during the week and you're not good at that, well, then you're not going to be able to at least hold a horse at even. You will now like the people that are really, really good at horsing. Yeah. They can tear them up on the weekends and then build them back up during the week. And then some other people can tear them up a little on the weekends and then kind of break even during the week. So it doesn't really necessarily, they get them to a certain point and they can kind of troll right. And they can do some stuff. You know, he's not just like a blown up hot fire breathing dragon all the time but he's also still kind of running off with them in the pattern you know things like that so that's probably one of the biggest contributing factors to the problems that this horse is doing that we initially started talking about so remember once again it all goes together uh you know the a lot of times a barrel horse is uncapable of uh sometimes they can walk but they're kind of uncapable of trotting and loping around on a loose rein so you know you would always need to be able to maintain that in any horse no matter what the discipline was this barrel horse would probably need to do a lot of the redirecting exercise till he got to where he wasn't always out in front of the rider or in front of the bit you know mentally and or physically basically not be hot is, uh, what we're getting at here. Uh, but that's, you know, like all of the slowing down videos on the website, the redirecting exercise in particularly, uh, and you'll also see that being done in the virtual clinic videos on there as well. So, uh, without getting off into a, you know, a three hour discussion, which would basically just be all of the other things we've talked about in all of the other podcasts. Uh, we will call it good. I hope that kind of answers your question, and I hope that gives you maybe some things to experiment with, play around with, see see what you can get going. Uh, and then prob- if you were to say, okay, well, all that's great, but like, what do I do? The answer would be, just as pretty much always start at the virtual clinic 
and do a lot of redirecting in the slowing down section of the website, the redirecting exercise. All right. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Carson James Podcast. Real. Simple. Horsemanship. Subscribe now to get new questions answered every week. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, drop us a review and share it with your horsey friends. 